every activity God commands is intended to enhance his love or relationship with his people. Religious activity, apart from the fellowship with God, is an empty ritual. Many become comfortable with their religion, and they do not even notice the absence of God sometimes when they worship. It's possible to, is it possible to pray, to attend a worship service, to give an offering, yet not experience the presence of God? It certainly is possible. Today we're going to spend some time in the 15th chapter of John. <clears throat> and as we do so, I want to encourage you, if you go back to read it later on, that you first read the 14th chapter of John. In the 14th chapter, Jesus speaks to him being the way to the Father. And he promises the Holy Spirit to us in that chapter. And one little girl heard the message of the Holy Spirit and heard the pastor refer to it as the paraclete. And when service was over, they were getting in the car and the little girl said to her dad, Dad, we need to go to the pet shop because we know Jesus wants us to have a parakeet. And so we need that. So I pray this morning that in the 15th chapter, you see Jesus's metaphor to help explain the relationship that with, with God. There are three vital relationships that Jesus teaches his disciples in this scripture. <clears throat> One is being rightly related to Jesus. That's the first 10 verses. We're going to park on most of those this morning. The other is the right relationship with each other. And then the third one is the right relationship with the world. <clears throat> they have three respective duties. The first one is to remain in Jesus or abide in him. The second one is to love each other. And the third one is to testify to the good news of Jesus Christ being our Savior. As I said earlier, we're going to focus on the first 10 or 11 verses this morning. So before we get started, would you pray with me and pray for me? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come today, we give thanks for your presence dwelling in this place and in our hearts. I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto your sight, Father. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Honest, open, kind, loving, gracious relationships are so important every day. However, we so often get caught up in the rules of the world about relationships. You know, we look at a relationship and sometimes we think, what is in this relationship for me? Can I fake this relationship until I get what I need out of this relationship? Do I really care if anybody gets hurt? Well, as long as it's not me, I'm not sure that I really care. And do you have relationships where you truly trust the people that you're dealing with? You really believe that some people have your back. You know, as I mentioned last week in law enforcement, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that police officers do, and when they get ready to execute a warrant, there's a lot of, of intel that goes into that. They do a lot of surveillance. They do a lot of investigating. Uh, and when they put a plan together to run a search warrant, it's even approved by a judge as to who they can arrest and what evidence they can be looking at. And so they put this plan together and they work together as a team and they believe in each other and they trust each other. You see, if we were to execute a warrant and I was responsible for the first room to the right 
And when the door was kicked in, we went in, and I went past that first room, or I just glanced in that first room, not noticing that there was a closet in there. I had put everybody in jeopardy. Those that believe that this is your assignment, this is what you're supposed to be doing, I have let them down. And I want to promise you, when we would do debriefings, when you made a mistake, you were corrected. You were corrected to the point that you understood that you put everyone in jeopardy by not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So evolves a trust in one another, a reliance on one another. As you've heard me say before, I had the same partner for 30-something years. I knew where Jim was all the time. And I knew the little things that were really going to irritate him so I could be right there for him to make sure that we didn't go off the rails. That trust is necessary in a relationship. So my question is, what kind of a relationship do you have with the one that you can truly, truly trust at all times and all things? And that is Jesus Christ. You see, it's not an ongoing, it, it should be an ongoing relationship. It's not one that you turn off and on. There's a country western song that's out right now says, I only pray when I need Jesus. Do other people see, by the way you live your life, the relationship you have with God? We want to see what Jesus told his disciples about the relationship that he had with his father. We're going to hear that today. First, in Matthew 5.16, we read how Jesus tells his disciples what their relationship in following him should be, which is the same relationship Jesus had with his father and that we should have each day. Jesus said, let your light, your light, or our light, our light, which is the hope in him, Shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, this is all about God's glory. It's not about me. So grab your Bibles. We're going to start in the 15th chapter of John. We're going to begin in the first verse. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, and then we're going to break it down uh, very quickly. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. We are already clean because you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
So let's look at the second and third verse real quick. You see here, the gardener wants the fruit to be produced from the vine. In the Old Testament, the grape vine was a prophetic fruit. Grapes symbolize Israel's faithfulness doing God's work. At Passover, the fruit symbolized God's goodness to his people. Now Jesus says that he is that vine. This is mentioned eight times in this chapter. In verse 2, it's mentioned three times, verse 4 twice, and then it's in verse 5, verse 8, and verse 16. This fruit that Jesus is referring to is to what God desires from his people to be obedient, righteous, and just followers of Jesus. Every branch in Jesus that does not produce fruit, the gardener cuts off. The phrase here, in me, does not uh, mean the same as the phrase in Christ that Paul writes about. Here it means every person who professes to be Jesus' disciple is not necessarily a true follower of Jesus. We can look at Judas and see that. A branch that produces no fruit is obviously dead. Every year a gardener prunes his vines. They cut off the wood which is no longer alive. And they trim the living branches so that they may yield more fruit. The task of the gardener is one of distinguishing between productive and unproductive branches and dealing with both of those cases. It is important to understand that it is God who does the pruning and the removal. Today we are concerned with numbers in a church and we think the more people we have in a building, the better job we're doing as a church. And this seems to be the driving factor for so many people. And so we have followers that acquiesce with just showing up and giving commitment to Jesus only with their lips. The question of status of the branches is not as as important as the issue of fruitfulness from the branch. You see, Jesus said that he addressed those of being cleaned and pruned and pure, the assumption should be made that they're the most fruitful. In addition, the true vine, who is the, who is the authentic vine, and his followers should be truly fruitful. And they should be fruitful in communicating the good news of Jesus Christ and the sharing of the gospel. And you look at verse 4, we see the fruitfulness as a result of the Son's life being reproduced in his disciples. The followers apart is to the followers part is to remain in Jesus. The word remain is key to John's theology. It occurs eleven times in this chapter, forty times in his gospel, and twenty seven times in John's epistles. What does it mean to remain? Well first it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Second, it means to continue and to persevere in believing. And thirdly, it means to believing and loving, lovingly in obedience to God. So how do we do these things? Well, first of all, we completely surrender to living a Christ-like life. We have faith in a sovereign God and his truth, his ways, We obediently follow him when he calls. Without faith, folks, no life of God will ever come to you. 
Without the life of God through Jesus, no real fruit can be produced. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Jesus Christ. This verse is where the evangelist returns to remaining, abiding, and dwelling in Jesus just as the Father abides in the Son. A branch is not self-contained entity, and neither are we. We need to be attached to the vine. In verses 5 and 6, this is the last of the great I Am statements in John. Israel was God's choice vine, which he provided care and attention to. God longed for and demanded fruit from the vine, but it degenerated and produced rotten fruit. Therefore, we hear Jesus say now that he is the true vine that fulfills what God had desired for his people. God is the gardener who cultivates and protects the vine. In verses 5 and 6, we also see that the disciples are referred to as true followers, continually abiding in Jesus when he says, remain, remain in me. An indwelling of Jesus in the believer is so critical. I in him and he in me results in abundant fruit. But those who do not believe this face disaster, which is eternal death. The branch without life is dead and it's cut off. And that dead branch is tossed into the fire and burned. So what does this really mean? And there are several versions of what this means, but I want to look at just a couple of them. These words have been viewed to to mean that the burned branches are those who have lost their salvation. But this contradicts many other passages, some even in John's gospel, such as John 3.16, John 5.24, the 10th chapter of John, the 28th and 29th verses, and then again in the 8th chapter of Romans. The next is that some believe the, ver- the burned branches represent the believers who lose their rewards but not their salvation as they stand before the judgment seat. Of God, And another interpretation is the burned branches refer to per, the professing followers like Judas who says, I am a follower of Jesus, but they have not genuinely been saved and therefore are judged. Like a dead branch, a person without Christ is spiritually dead and therefore will be punished at the time of judgment. Judas was with Jesus. He seemed to be like a branch. But he he didn't have God's life in him. Therefore, he departed. His destiny was like that of the dead branches. The image of burning and uh, dry branches is a judgment that goes back to the Old Testament, including the plagues of Egypt and, and the cities there in Egypt and the disobedient people. God's anger is linked to the fire and often used in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 15, he likened Jerusalem to fruitless vines. The branches are, are not to be in any way confused with the vine. There should not be an issue with understanding our identity in Christ. Verses 7 and 8, the verses now become more positive. This remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Effective prayer is based on faith in Christ and on his words remaining within his followers. John 15, 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. 
And then in Colossians 4.2, we see, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Prayer is closely related to that sheepdog that we talked about a few weeks ago. The sheepdog helps the shepherd herd his sheep into the pen and watches over them. But the sheepdog always returns to his master's feet. You see, if the sheepdog had a prayer, it would be that he would always return to the master waiting on his next assignment. That is prayer. Prayer that is abiding relationship where you should stay at your master's feet. I talked a while ago about law enforcement. You know, in the military and firefighters, uh, they too trust one another. And sometimes they are given assignments that seem almost impossible. But they believe in those that have laid out that plan. You know, if we can believe in each other, if we can believe in man, why can we not believe in God's word? Why can we not develop a deep relation, excuse me, a deep relationship with God? And some people say, well, I know this person. I've met that person. I've shaken their hands. I've given them a hug, so I know they exist. My question is, what's your point? Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he exists and that he is with you always? Do you trust him? It is in prayer and conversation that we hear from the master. When we pray, we listen. When we ask for help or clarification, we should listen. You do not ask someone to help you that you do not know or you do not trust. We struggle to be a trusting people. We are always cognizant of the things around us and the people around us that we can trust. You see, prayer is a conversation. We're seeking seeking guidance from someone that has the power and the knowledge to make all those things that you want to have happen, happen. That is God. His word should condition and control our minds so that our prayers conform to his will. Since our prayer is then within his will of the Father, the results are certain. It will be given to you. 1 John 5, 14 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Fulfilled prayers bring glory to God. We pray for a miracle. And I'm not sure how God classifies or defines miracles. Sometimes we say, what a miracle. And it's just God being God. That's what it is. And God answering those prayers that you have. You see, Jesus wants his disciples to be within his Father's will, just as he was in his Father's will. You know, we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Don't make those just words, folks. Make that your mission. 15, 8, John 15, 8 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let me speak to the guys here real quick. Men, we are not ordinary followers of Jesus. We are called to be sanctifiers. Men who set themselves apart and are set apart for the purpose of transforming lives, including the lives of your mate. 
This is what we ought to be doing. That sanctification comes only one way, and that's with a Savior. In verses 9 and 10, the focus again returns to the theme of abiding in Jesus and loving others. A believer is motivated by the wonder and the magnificent love of Jesus, which is patterned after the Father's unbelievable love and the quality and the extent of love that he had for his Son and that he has for us. Remain in my love might seem like a magical, mystical thing, but Jesus makes it concrete and he makes it very real. Obedience to the Father's will is the same for the disciples as it was for Jesus himself. Active dependence and loving obedience are the proper paths for God's children. That does not mean that we have a better idea than God or that we don't take God's idea and form it to where we think it should be going. It means just what that is, is that we are children, obedient children of God. And in verse 11, while the 11th verse is not the final verse of this chapter, this verse brings what Jesus is talking about to a final stage. It focuses our attention on the promise of joy. Obedience, love, fruit-bearing, joy. But with that comes pruning. And sometimes we look at pruning thinking that's kind of scary and that's going to hurt. But, you know, the thought of the joy should bring excitement. Paul's in prison, and Paul says, I count this all joy. We should count the pruning process, the correction from God Almighty as joy. You see, God sees things that can be better, and he wants us to be happier and to have more joy. So we get pruned. The purpose of abiding vine is to provide the sense of pleasing delight to those that are true disciples, obedient to God. Despite the pain of pruning, there is joy in remaining in Jesus. It should bring the realities of joy into our lives. That we are united in the vine of Jesus and his sacrificial death and the power of the resurrection. There are those that feel they must constantly be laboring for the Lord in order to meet God's high standards. Jesus gave us a clear picture of what our relationship to him ought to be like. He is the vine, the source of eternal life, and we are the branches, the place where the fruit is produced. As we receive life from Christ, the natural, inevitable result is that the fruit is produced in our lives. The branch does not try its hardest to produce fruit. It's the true vine that the fruit comes from, but only if the branch is connected. That relationship has to be there. It can't be one of those of, yeah, I've heard of Jesus. Yeah, I've been baptized. And I go to church. So I'm headed for heaven. There's much more to that, to that deep relationship than just that. In our zeal to produce results for our Lord, we sometimes become so intent on fruit production that we neglect abiding in Christ. We may feel abiding in Christ is not very productive. It takes too much time. I don't have time to wait. Let's just produce this fruit. Yet Jesus said that it's not our activity that produces fruit. It is our relationship with him. 
Jesus gave an important warning to his disciples. He cautioned that if they ever attempted to live their life apart from an intimate relationship with him, they would discover that their life ceased to produce any significant results. They might exert great effort for the kingdom of God, yet when they stopped accountability in their lives, they would see that they found barrenness. One of the most dramatic acts Jesus ever performed was cursing the fig tree that failed to produce fruit. So my question is, are you comfortable in abiding in Christ? Are you impatient and you want to engage in activities? If you remain steadfast in fellowship with Jesus, a great harvest will come about and you will produce fruit in your life. Tony Evans gave an example one time of how we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. And he talked about how we have an envelope with our name on it. In Jesus Christ, there was another envelope. And you put that envelope inside your envelope. So you had Jesus inside your envelope. And then your envelope went into another envelope that had Jesus' name on it. And so you are in Jesus. And then there's another envelope that with God's name on it, a a fire tartar resistant uh, um, envelope that he put Jesus inside and it had God's name on the outside of it. So Satan has got to go through God and go through Jesus and then even if he gets were lucky enough to get to you, you have within you Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Your life will be full because you're full of Jesus. You know, as hard as it may seem to believe, relationships require a lot less work than religious activities. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say, For it's only by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Out of gratitude to this free gift of grace, we should seek to help and serve others in kindness, with love, and with gentleness, not merely to please ourselves. While no action or work can help obtain our salvation, God's intentions is that our salvation will result in acts of obedient service to his will. We are not saved for our own benefit, but to serve Christ and to build God's kingdom. Jesus invites us into a relationship that requires trust and knowledge of who he is and the promise of God's word that speak of the relationship that we should have. It is not a casual, on-again, off-again relationship. It's a constant relationship. It's not, it's a great idea, God, I got this from now on. No, it's about following his will. He desires from us that we know and be committed to him and to God's kingdom. Anything less will cause us to focus on ourselves and take our eyes off the cross of Jesus. And we will be just like Peter who was walking on water and suddenly focused on the wind and he began to sink. At the heart of many of our issues is the inability to know God's ways. And God's very clear. He says that his ways are higher than the heavens. His ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts and not our ways. They are not only bigger, but they're on a level that we struggle to understand. 
Thus, our need to trust and obey following him is important. You see, it's his will, not ours. So often we want to give God a heartfelt commitment or a half-hearted commitment and then ask for blessings on that half-hearted commitment. God is such a forgiving and loving God that he continues to work in our lives and around our self-centeredness. He prunes us. He is like that sculpture that takes a big piece of marble and begins to chip away at it, one little piece at a time, so he has a beautiful image when it is over. God calls us to be tested and our faith to be tested so that we trust him more and we trust him alone. All the pruning that takes place in our lives is for his purpose. Some pruning comes from our own bad decisions, but God knows when and how to graciously and lovingly prune us to where we can be productive for his kingdom. Please hear this. We are all children of God. In your DNA is your desire to remain connected to the vine, connected to Jesus. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, while we were still sinners, God granted us an eternal opportunity to abide in his kingdom. We are so connected to the love of Jesus that the death itself cannot separate us. Romans 5, beginning with the first verse, says, Therefore, since we, have, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have been granted access, access by faith to the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so that we rejoice in our sufferings in that pruning, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he gave us. A prerequisite for receiving God in your heart is believing and trusting Jesus. To do that, you have to have a relationship with him. You have to do more than just know him. You have to experience him. Preparation for that relationship is repentance, as Pastor Zeke said a while ago. And with repentance comes the presence of God.